0: I said, hey, pretend your employer wasn't sitting over there in the corner. What kind of loyalty do you have to your employer because they invested this in you? And he said something that literally just put the hair on my arms. He goes, I will die a Rosen employee. And like, I can't think of anything else as an employer. If one of my employees says, I will die a next impactor, I mean, like, I did something right. You're listening to Culture Champions, a podcast about what it takes to cultivate exemplary work cultures and master sustainable business growth. In each episode, host Zain Hassan sits down with business leaders and experts to bring you in-depth conversations on maximizing value and success in all aspects of your company.
1: So I'm incredibly excited today because we have the good fortune of bringing someone who I've known for quite a while, but I know our audience will have the opportunity to get to know him and his why and everything he's been doing from a business perspective. And candidly, he's been an inspiration to me every day when I talk to him and get a chance to connect with him. Just seeing how he treats his people and his team in every way—he's a culture champion. But with that, without further ado, today we have Lester Morales. Lester, how you doing, buddy? Good, saying good. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, and really glad you took the time to be able to be on for the audience because they don't have the fortune of being able to know you as well as I do. If you don't mind giving the overview of your background, and normally I say 60 seconds, but this one, I'd actually love for you to go through your why story, so it'll be a lot longer than 60 seconds because I think that's really impactful.
0: Perfect. Yeah. I guess in in the relevance, I was born in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I always say my parents moved us to the mainland, chasing the American dream. Grew up in a very normal, hardworking immigrant household, right? Parents both had jobs. We were taught that nothing is given to you for free, so you got to go earn it. And I played baseball, wore Z Cavaricis and had Air Jordans and, and did all the things that a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s did. The day after Christmas, 1995, so I was a freshman in high school, my parents and I were out, I beat them home, and that's back when Answer machines still had a tape and you had to hit play, and we get this call, and it said, basically, Mr. Morales, your test results came back positive, and so my parents came home, I sat them down, I'm like, I don't know what you guys are keeping a secret to, but what the hell is it, and... My dad had been diagnosed with multiple myeloma. So for the audience, that is cancer of your bone marrow. As a Latin boy, right? Your dad is what I always describe as Optimus Prime, right? If you're a Transformers fan, couldn't be hurt. And so this was an interesting thing. I remember that day as if it was yesterday, I did the only thing I knew what to do is I went to the batting cages at the baseball park and I hit about seven hours worth of balls off the tee because it was my only thing to get myself out of there. So in the subsequent years, dad had a bone marrow transplant, chemo, radiation. And I remember at that very moment thinking that I was blessed to be in a household that where mommy and dad both had health insurance. Because you start to see the bills that are coming in and you start to see, hey, hundred dollars here, a couple thousand dollars here, and et cetera. I'm like, man, I'm really glad we have health insurance. Knowing what I know now, that the average deductible and out of pocket for a family, six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 a year, dad was on a drug called Revlimed. a $150,000 a year. And wow. fortunately, Zane, in two years later, my parents filed bankruptcy, And I could tell you, it wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I understood what that even meant, right? Like we didn't lose our house. We weren't on the streets. Like when I think of bankruptcy, at least as a teenager, I would think that you'd be out on the streets looking for a home kind of deal. And it's interesting because I knew nothing. My parents did such an amazing job and, and thinking back, I can't believe how well of a secret they kept, they were $70,000 on a credit card in debt. And we lived in the same house we did when we first moved to the States. We drove modest cars. We didn't go on vacations. My parents weren't out there spending money and what we all might think of people who file bankruptcy as they're living beyond their means. My parents weren't like that. They were really, honestly, most of the dollars that went out were trying to make a better household for my brother and I. And So parents filed bankruptcy. I go to college and I remember my parents were giving me $250 out of my dad's disability policy. And I joined a fraternity that one of my older fraternity brothers, who was actually my pledge master, my warden, had just graduated with an insurance degree. I'm like, I didn't even realize you can get a degree in insurance. And he was making all kinds of money straight out of school. And I remember thinking, man, we're drinking nickel beers And this guy's making $80,000 at a school. I I couldn't imagine spending $80,000 in a year. So it was a beeline on, well, I kind of understand this insurance thing. You can make a lot of money. Let's do it. And, you know, since then, Zane, I have had the amazing career. I I couldn't have dreamed that somebody sitting in my shoes could have the career that I have. Fast forward, and, and we can dive into anywhere you want, but fast forward the other relevance of why my why is such a big deal is 2014 for any, I would say probably any immigrant kids, but definitely Latino boys, your mom is everything. So I'm a huge mama's boy. My dad had passed away in 2012. And in 2014, I get the worst call. My mom diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I remember Googling that I was in the airport and I'll again, never forget where I was. And I Googled pancreatic cancer. And the life expectancy of somebody who diagnosed with pancreatic cancer is three and a half months. And I remember Mama. calling my mom, Mom, you're going to die. And she's, we'll be fine. A, we're all going to die. And, and B, we'll be fine. And Zane, growing up in a household that had to file bankruptcy for normal stuff. And then realizing at that point, I was in this business for 14 years that I myself was building health plans. Four employers that had three, four, five thousand dollar deductibles, five, six, eight thousand dollar out of pocket max. So I was proud of the problem. I was doing the same thing that put us in bankruptcy. And I remember when mom got diagnosed, we were only getting stories about the healthcare in Tampa, Florida. And I remember Google searching and just digging down a rabbit hole. Well, some of the best people who have had the best results for pancreatic cancer weren't in Tampa. So I'm thinking, wait a second, I've got a couple extra bucks in the bank. My brother's in the business. If mom has to go to the moon to get services, we're going to send her to the moon if we have to. And it dawned on me at that very moment that the healthcare system in the way that it's designed today isn't broken. It's completely designed incorrectly. And I made a a pact to myself, to my mom, to the future generations that I would never wake up any day for the rest of my life thinking that the normal is acceptable. Unfortunately, mom lost her battle with cancer. My why every day is to make the two angels I have in heaven proud of me.
1: Yeah. I mean, the amount of adversity and that adversity can either turn someone and turn into fuel, which that certainly seems like it did for you. But the shock absorber that your parents were for you to be able to absorb that much and to show strength every day is remarkable. And now I think one of the things you mentioned, and for the audience's sake, because I don't really ever dive into the details of the trade that even I'm in or we're in, I remember when we first learned about healthcare, when I really first learned from you about how Beal Call, it it designed correctly. In my mind, that's designed correctly for the shareholders, not designed correctly for the American economy or anyone who's probably watching this. But it's like this having worked at Cigna and thinking of what my experience is. Once you learn the opportunities to reduce costs, to reach, to transform healthcare and how much it's taking from our society, you can't unlearn it, in my opinion right? No,
0: I I always say it, Zane, it's the Spider-Man quote, right? With great responsibility comes great power, right? And that great power comes great responsibility the other way around. And knowledge is power, right? And when you finally understand that 20% of our GDP, you know, an employer's second or third largest expense, 67% of personal bankruptcies are because of healthcare related expenses. And most of those people have insurance. Like, to wake up any day thinking that doing it the normal way is even acceptable is not accepting that knowledge of what you saw, what you tasted, that forbidden fruit in a good way, that's power. And you got a damn responsibility to it. And it is the fuel. I mean, I, I'm wound tight, as you know. <laughs> I tend to have a lot more energy and any day that I wake up and wonder, is this working or Am I doing anything right or pushing a boulder uphill? I just look up and I'm like, I know it's doing something right. And so it's that's a motivation that you can't replace.
1: Well said. So today you're the CEO. You didn't go, I'd love for you to go through a little bit of your corporate background and then you started your own business. And to your point, I think when you want to know if it's working, you look back and you try to see how far you've come. And that le- that certainly lets you know that it's working. But I think once it'd be great to hear that and then to hear about your team as, and that'll be the next question, but I'll just stop right there and let you answer the first one.
0: Yeah, I joke, you know, who gets a degree in risk management insurance, right? So I often joke that Rob stiller on Along Came Polly. That's like kind of my real life. I'm always like, Assessing risk in some way, shape, or form. I think I'm just. Oh, uh, Ben
1: Siller. Ben Siller. Ben yeah. Siller, yeah. Siller. yeah. Ben <laughs>
0: Siller. Yeah. So I worked, you know, a couple years on the carrier side, and the most of my career was at back then Willis, now Willis Towers Watson. So those of you who think of the Sears Tower in Chicago, the Sears Towers, the Willis Tower. I worked for that company. It's the third largest consulting firm in the world for insurance. Zane, again, a remarkable career I had there. I'm a baseball player. My career has always been around the notion of what do you call somebody that fails 70% of the time? A Hall of Fame. A Hall of Fame. Yeah. That guy is going to be enshrined. They're literally going to enshrine that person's head and put them in Cooperstown. And so I think about business and life in that way, right? Like you're okay. It's it's completely cool to fail. A lot of percentage of time because what we're doing is difficult with that mindset and with an upbringing that us minorities have, right? And I know you and I share that commonality. Like We're not told that anything's gifted to us. So like I would say my superpower is my work ethic and I'll just outwork you, period, the end. And if you make 100 calls, I'll make 200. If you work 40 hours, I'm going to work 60. And it's just, that was my success. And so that was in day-to-day production. And then as the chief growth officer for North America. So I had 200 salespeople, advisors that were underneath me. We were a $350 million practice. I've gotten to conduct business. I was on the global leadership team. I've conducted business in 15 countries, things that, you know, and that was all before my 35th birthday. Like I have been blessed beyond years in my corporate world's and then when my mom got sick, so my mom was a nurse for the VA for nearly 40 years. And so her and I would always have a conversation about healthcare and how to fix it, right? And I'm like, mom, unfortunately, what I would tell people to do to fix healthcare isn't gonna get somebody voted into office because she'd always be like, you should run for politics and then you could share something. <laughs> I'm like, that job sucks, no thank you. And secondly, like in order to be able to do the right things, you would have to tell people a bunch of unpleasant things that they don't want to hear. Like, I don't know, stop eating crappy food and move your body, right? Like easy stuff. But she was like, when are you going to stop doing it for corporate America that makes you color inside the lines? When are you going to go do this yourself? And and I'll say the PG version because my mom worked for the federal government for the VA with veterans my whole life. So she had a little bit of a potty mouth on her. And so She said, when are you going to stop being a, and I'm going to say the word wussy, you could insert the real word that she said there. And Zaina, I can remember the punch in the gut, that word from your mother, my five foot two Latina mom was calling me a wuss. I'm six one, she's five two. And I'm like, huh, this little lady just called me a wuss. But she said one thing, and there's two or three people that kind of had the magnitude of impact for me. Mom was one, and she said, if this isn't a sign that life isn't guaranteed, I don't know what is. I was like, damn, because you're always saying, I'll do it later. I'm going to do that later, and I'm going to get to that. And we never know. And then I had two people in the business, and I'll call a shout out to one, Mike Barton, who was my CEO when I was at Willis. I called him and I said, Mike, you had an amazing career. Is there any regrets that you had? And he says, one, I never betted on me. And he says, if I could tell you something at your, I was 36 at the time, bet on you. And bet on me was go start your own company. And so in 2016, the Entrepreneurial journey started. 2015 is when I decided it and told the organization. And Zane, at that point, I was the number two guy in the practice. I was, you know, I was the golden boy. And I remember August 1st of 2015 was the first time I didn't see a fairly substantial paycheck dropped into my account. And I was officially an entrepreneur. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, I need to go do something. So it's been, an incredible road. One that I don't know that I would do over again in regards to drawing the same maps with my mom passing away, the hurricane down here in Puerto Rico, COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I've got some battle scars, but you and I uh, share one thing in that looking back when we finally stopped to smell the roses at times, I I can absolutely tell you that when I look in the mirror, there's a little bit of a smile that I've got a, a road still to hoe, but Looking backwards, I have to be at least a little bit proud of the man and the business and the success that we've had.
1: I'll be honest. I think you absolutely, you have every right to be. Your team feels that way. You've won best place to work numerous times. You won a lot of awards and you're doing arguably the hardest thing because unfortunately, we're in a society where status quo of just doing what we've always done, even though it produces terrible results is what. Probably the majority of the audience is only familiar with ever hearing about that, about what I call 12-month Band-Aids, and they don't understand that there's actually a way to control healthcare costs. But the idea, you know, you decide you're going to go bet on yourself. How did you come up with the idea of the business you're running today? Because my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, is you had not yet learned about all the things that you were kind of doing that what I would say was... You were coloring inside the lines, and those lines inside the box of being a great corporate citizen, but that also meant you were extracting value, or part of the, like you said, part of the problem. So, how did the idea of your business come to formation?
0: That's an interesting. I would tell you, I jumped ship without knowing what I was going to do. I knew one thing. I knew when it comes to sales and marketing. And sorry for anybody that's going to hear this and be upset what I'm about to say, but most salespeople suck. You know, I had a lot of them that worked for me and you start to dissect the numbers and, you know, it's just not a pleasant experience. You're spending a lot of money on people that are underperforming. And when I think about it in the normal way, I'm like, huh, there's a lot of things that you could do differently through a better channel. Too like I was somebody that made 100 cold calls a day. That's not the channel anybody. Nobody wakes up in the morning like, oh my God, <laughs> let me do that, bit. It really became something along the lines of, I know that I can change that. If 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar is spent on your human capital and your human capital largely on the expensive side are your salespeople, especially in our insurance business, there's a business there And then, so that was the premise and then that's how it all started. And then I learned what Walmart was doing. Hey, if you're on Walmart's health plan and you want to have a knee surgery, they've picked out 19 centers of excellence across the country. None of them are in Bentonville, Arkansas. So they're going to put you on the Walmart jet and fly you somewhere to get a knee surgery. I'm like, What? And so I always say, Zaina, I'm an inch wide and a mile deep. I don't know much about anything. I love insurance. I love this business. It made sense to me from day one. And so I just became a dog on a bone. And at the end of that bone, right, it was two things. If we can change the way we do sales and marketing and turn it into a conversation of education, an education with the end consumer in mind, the employee and their family. And we've got ways that a health plan, a employer's second or third largest expense, the reason why most people file bankruptcy, if we can impact that, those two things have some legs to start a business. And quite honestly, those are the only two things I knew. And We've been figuring it out ever since.
1: And just for the audience to understand you, I mean, with your background, you had really worked on really large clients, right? So can you talk about what was your client at Willis? What did that average client look like when you had your meaningful book of business in production? And then sort of the model of when you decided, okay, I'm going to take what I've learned that Walmart's doing and then... Actually, from there, I'm gonna ask you to break down what Walmart doing. So I don't want to ask the five questions at once, and then it becomes hard to remember what you uh, want the order. So i will just start yeah, those. So,
0: yeah. So I was very fortunate that my first job out of college, I learned stop loss. I learned self insurance and. For the audience, that's not a nerd, right? There's a fully insured policy where you're just handing your premium over to a carrier. By the way, that carrier calls that revenue and nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to lower their revenues. Or there's a way where you become part of the you know, insurance company, if you will, on good years you win and whatever. So I learned stop loss at age 21 and a half. And so I was already kind of brainwashed and shout out to Sun Life. I got an amazing education about that. And I remember when I got to Willis, nobody else really kind of had that level of expertise. And I'm like, huh, this is interesting. And so it typically ends up being larger employers. So, you know, I've been fortunate to work with companies with a couple of hundred employees to folks like Boar's Head was a client of mine. And my largest client had 150,000 employees. They paid nearly a three-fourths of a billion dollar in healthcare costs. And that was kind of the range of stuff that we worked with. But the commonality is they were a little more complex, right? Self-funded. Sure. That you know, they wanted to dig into that a little bit more.
1: And then you go through, right? You decide you're starting your own business and you learn this Walmart structure and strategy, which sounds like they're pioneered or one of the pioneers behind really breaking it apart and realizing that. You can control this cost. Can you talk more about what you learned about what Walmart does?
0: Yeah, you know, the first thing that I learned and we intuitively know this, but how it comes from intuition to practicality is a big gap, but you know two things. Number one, the quality and the cost of healthcare changes depending on where you go. So the cost of the MRI at that place versus the cost of the MRI is different. You know this if you walked in and paid cash, You would pay a different number than you pay when you hand them your insurance card. And for the audience, if you've never asked that question of how much something costs, that would be my first piece of advice is have that conversation. And the old joke, right? The person that walks across the stage at med school, very last place is still called doctor. And when you think about that, there's really crummy dollar doctors. There's really good doctors. There's really crummy hospitals, but we shop more for the phone in our hand, the car in the driveway, or the house that we live in more so than anybody takes any level of thought process about how much and what they're doing with their own healthcare. And, you know, when Walmart started to come out with that, they put centers of excellence. So they decided, hey, we're going to worry about quality first, because the undisclosed thing in our world is that quality and cost in our business, healthcare- has an inverse relationship. So the higher the quality, the lower the cost. And when you think about it, it makes sense. If I go see knee surgeon A and he or she does 800 knee surgeries versus knee surgeon B who does 100 Knee surgeon A does them faster. They probably do it in an ambulatory surgery center. They've got their own static team. So when they do them faster, somebody's under anesthesia a lot less. When they do them faster, they've seen more cases. They buy more nuts and bolts and all the things that they put in your knees. I've got screws and stuff in my left knee. So, huh, the better they are, the faster they are. This is just unit cost accounting that we learned in Econ 101. Oh, the better they are at something, the less they screw up and the less time they take doing it. And that makes sense. And Walmart being gigundous can do that. And you start to realize, wait a second, there's companies that have 10 employees that are doing this. You hit the nail on the head. Nobody ever got fired for hiring IBM was a quote that they used to use in our world. Nobody ever got fired for hiring a major insurance company that has a big logo on it. And so once you started to understand. That they were using a design that incentivized employees to be better consumers and using quality and cost metrics to understand, hey, I can waive 100% of your costs. I can make healthcare free if you go to those two places to get your MRI, because we're going to pay $500 for that MRI, as opposed to if you go over there, it's going to be $3,000 for that MRI. The same MRI machine, multiply that by every surgery, every drug, everything, and healthcare, this currently opaque pricing and reporting structure that at the end of the day, check the stock prices of the major insurance companies to know who is benefiting from this, and switching that to the employer having a little bit more control. And more importantly, incentivizing employees to become better healthcare consumers and aligning the interest between the stakeholders that have all of the things. So this is something that we do in every other aspect of our lives. Every other aspect. In healthcare, it has just been a, I'm going to close my eyes and hope for the best. And thank you, sir. May I have another year and and year out.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just in hearing as you walked through and, and with Walmart, one of the things what they were doing is it was new, but the realization that now ever since- and this is mainly for the audience. I'm articulating something that you already well aware of, Lester, but it's that the Walmart model has now been taken down to five employees. So it's, I oftentimes talk to employers and when I'm talking to them and working with what HR leaders and CFOs or CEOs, and I explain a lot of what Lester just described because what he it hasn't fully gone through yet, but he does as his business is he has those analytics to show so that. If you think about how I always used to choose my provider before, it was, do I know someone who knows someone who I think I can trust and that they're saying this person gives them a good experience? And then I'd go show up and I have no idea whether or not that doctor, I have no way to measure their quality, right? I have no idea if they're misdiagnosing me completely or if they have any idea what they're doing. It's all a game of hope. But then it turned out that metrics were there. There were all these things that you could actually do. And it just felt like once I learned that and learned about the amount of $0.29, cents, I think, of every dollar spent on healthcare goes to the actual physician or clinician, and 40% of that, almost 40% of that is like fraud or waste, it just became a something where there was no way to unlearn that, and there was no way not to join the mission. And to me, it's not insurance, right? When I think about the younger generations, I know there's probably a lot in the audience watching this that is part of the younger generation. What Lester is doing is not what you would think of with insurance. It's healthcare, but it is designing programs that will save lives. It is removing the bankruptcy from people's families. And it is creating an opportunity for employers to drastically reduce costs without sacrificing quality. In fact, it improves the quality of the benefits. And right now, most people don't have enough money in their savings account to make it through one emergency room overnight stay, especially yeah, you know, with the, the mean, economic climate.
0: The other thing you're know, thinking about the title of your podcast, right? From an employer's perspective, I mean, employees want to work for a company that shows them they care. Being able to provide a plan that helps people navigate the two most confusing ecosystems that they're going to, health insurance and health care, When you think about that from an employer perspective and the value proposition you give to an employee, in a cancel culture, silent resignation, you know, all these great resignations, all the terms that we're in right now, the opportunity to differentiate yourself as an employer because you're doing what's best. There's nobody that would listen to this and say that letting people continue to do the same thing that we've been doing is a good thing and letting people not think about their own health care Is the right answer? Nobody would ever say that out loud, but that's exactly what happens today. So that's what I love this about the culture champion. Your conversation on that is this is exactly what employers need to be doing, not only to be fiscally responsible, but to add value to their number one asset, their employees.
1: Yeah, and to that point, in a world where it's extremely challenging to have you know to keep talent, everybody's going and pursuing the those that are if they are sales or they're not the bottom 50% that you mentioned earlier, they're actually the ones contributing to the bottom line and alignment of interest. Okay. You're going to pay a sales rep based on their production, but yet the traditional insurance broker, they get paid not for bringing value to the employer because if there's a a 10% increase in the healthcare costs, they're going to get paid. And oftentimes the employer doesn't even think about this. It's like, why would you trust someone if, In the absence of me knowing someone, even if I can, even if I know someone, my model has always been, I want to align our interests so that it's simply, there's no reason you would do anything that doesn't help our business and help work together. With the insurance brokerage or the insurance distribution model and what you're doing, which to me is, it's fundamentally reversing it on its head and then showing and educating the world on how much opportunity there is so that the idea of saying we have a twenty percent increase, we don't know why, we have to let some people go, never has to happen again. And at this point, it's now their fiduciary obligation not to be to just put their head in the sand and stick with a normal status quo. Although yeah. there are so many employers that are continuing to do it, and I think that's we have to go to every medium possible to educate them on there are people and there are advisors and there are people who have started businesses to help show them this way. But why do you think, this is for the audience, and it's obvious to me, but I want to hear you, I still want you to go through it. Why do you think other brokers, the larger brokers don't do this? Why don't they actually care about their client success?
0: Yeah. You know, I always say that I like to think that the health insurance companies, you know, you're kind of the status quo advisor, broker, consultant, you know, whatever we want to call them, that nobody wakes up in the morning wanting to purposefully screw somebody else, right? So let's go with it's not out of malice. I think you got first. My mom always said, follow the money, right? If you want to know somebody's you know, true intentions, follow the money. And to your point, you make more money when it's the status quo. It just is part of that increased cost is that there's a bunch of people touching a bunch of different things that are making a bunch of money in the middle of it, period, the end. And then two, there's just an exposure conversation. Change is hard. I would tell you like this has been a learning curve and there becomes a point in your career where you're like, man, I've been doing this for 15 years. Do I really want to do something different? And then is it the easiest path? No. So right now you're talking about purposefully asking somebody to wake up tomorrow and ask for a harder day. But it goes back to the first question around your why. I mean, you have to change. It is no different than if you want to lose weight that you need to not focus around going to the gym or eating healthy. You need to focus on the why you're so motivated for that. So it's, I want to be able to live for my kids longer, show an example of my kids, or I want to be able to play with my grandkids when I have them. Whatever it might be that motivates you that when it gets tough, that's your extra sense of fuel, but that's what this business is. This is much the harder way, but the much harder way gets the amazing results and it makes you smile and put your head down on the pillow at night saying, you know what? We did good today.
1: Well, and I think, so you have a highly engaged team that is, you know, very engaged in your why and now your why is their why, right? And so to me, the culture champion side of that is about protecting the team. It's letting them develop and grow. And that in every way, if I think about the employers listening to this, it's going to be harder to go down the road of not just keeping things the way that you have always kept it, but it's going to be so meaningful from your bottom line. If you're HR or ZFO, if you want to absolutely look amazing in a boardroom, it's have these start digging into healthcare and reach out to Lester. And so he can try to, his team can help educate you on the process on how you can pull it. Because I've talked to institutional private equity firms, so many of them actually. And if they can't figure it out, then find the person that can and just you know try to absorb and learn from them. But also just let them do what they do best. Honestly, a lot of the times it's like you know, your team does so much of the work so that they don't have to feel like this is a big, scary thing and they don't know the chance of success. But the amount of change and making sure that you're able to communicate that, wouldn't you agree that there's a link between being a culture champion and looking at the healthcare care benefits as, okay, it's not just a benefit, it's actually I have to take care of the team and take care of every person that supports the organization?
0: Yeah, man. I mean, you know, depending on how woo somebody wants to get, right? So I'll start financially and then I'll go to woo. So financially speaking, the stats are all in, right? People can't afford to use their health plan, period, the end. And quite honestly, we're talking about health plans because that's what we do for a living. But this is the same thing when you're talking about training and development or anything else. Like the the reality of it is if we continue to let people do what they did yesterday, what got us here? As a human, as a company, as a, as a society, won't get us there. So we have to evolve in, as a society, and you have to evolve as a company. I have to evolve as a human being. So you know, I think of it no matter what we're talking about. But in this specific thing, it is financially bankrupting most of the people. So people are delaying having care. They're not taking care of themselves. That's a productivity conversation. I come to work. I'm not feeling as strong. I had a guy yesterday in our webinar, his employer, Rosen, an amazing employer, one of our clients paid for his bariatric surgery. He lost 190 pounds. Wow. 190 pounds. So imagine how much more meaningful he could come to work and produce But what I asked him, I said, hey, pretend your employer wasn't sitting over there in the corner. What kind of loyalty do you have to your employer because they invested this in you? And he said something that literally just put the hair on my arms. He goes, I will die a Rosen employee. And I can't think of anything else as an employer if one of my employees says I will die a next impactor. I mean, like I did something right. So when you think of it from, again, the financial element of it, that person no longer has diabetes. They're no longer a workers' comp risk for falling over because they were overweight. I mean, there's so much financial benefit in this, but let's just go altruistically. That's somebody you impacted their life, their world. They can play with their kids. They can play with their grandkids. The guy versus his picture. I literally like wanted to check his ID because it didn't even look like the same person. And then to hear him say, I will die a Rosen employee. I mean, goodness gracious. What more could you ask for?
1: That's an incredible story. And for the audience, I'd encourage you to Google because this is Harris Rosen and Rosen Hotels, you know, they're not as large as Walmart, but they certainly, their story of where they started and the aggregate amount, I can't, you probably know the number of how much money they've saved.
0: Over $450 million.
1: And $450 million, and Harris Rosen is such a generous
0: human being. He had, a lot of that went into the community. They adopted a local community and he sends people to college He has redone roads and and made it look prettier. Their employees have the best Cadillac health plan they could possibly have. They have an on-site medical center. They can go to that center. I found this out yesterday. If you don't have a car, because these are people cleaning hotel rooms and doing that. A lot of them are from third world countries that are coming over to work. If they don't have a car, literally they can schedule an appointment. Somebody from the organization will pick them up and take them to their appointment to be able to take them so that they can get access to healthcare. And that appointment is free Mm. and they're still on the clock. So when you start thinking about, again, culturally, culturally, you are proving to somebody in that scenario that you care about them, that we talk about people being our number one asset, but is that the way you act? And so in that conversation, you're giving somebody that is literally changing their lives. A lot of these people come to the United States and can't speak English. And so they do everything in three different languages, English, Spanish, and, and French, Creole, Patois, which is from Haiti. I mean, it becomes such an interesting thing. And so there's an absolute correlation with making the move and doing something different and being a culture champion, a hundred percent. But just like being a culture champion, it requires guts, it requires effort, it requires you to be okay in the uncomfortable. And I think that's probably the common thread amongst all of the employers, all of the advisors, and probably a lot of the people you have on this podcast, Like they all have that one thread that they're okay getting out on that limb and and being a little shaky and and not necessarily understanding that what tomorrow is actually going to really look like every day.
1: Very well said. I think to me, when I think about the culture champion side, this is what we haven't discussed up until this episode is we've been more philosophically around what core values and what the vision and mission mean and how you operationalize those at scale. But a critical component of compensation, total compensation, total rewards is part of the culture, right? And it's established. So this was a timely episode to be able to help because as we go through and from a lot of this was for the purpose of me learning how to make sure we build a culture that I can be a culture champion at scale as we continue to grow the business and hear from people and their experiences and just knowing that the amount of how much all it takes is one person, to change their lifestyle or have a medication or one misdiagnosis that we were able to prevent from happening, right? And the communication on the why, where I think a lot of the times they hear HR leaders, they're concerned about how do they explain the why. The why is because you care. The why is because you're trying to take care of these people, the people that are your most valuable asset, and you want them to live a great life. And it is the human to human side, Where, you know, when I can speak just from my own personal experience and say, whenever I've left a role, it typically was something correlated to whoever I was reporting into and what I believed the other opportunity was if I changed things, right? So if I felt someone really cared, my loyalty was going to be there because they cared. And this is a way that absolutely is probably the single largest impact on the bottom line that you could possibly do. But what do you have to lose, especially with my understanding of your business model is you don't even have to replace your relationship. If it's the brother, the uncle, however they got in there, your business will come in and help and show the results you can bring and work with whoever the firm's already got as their broker.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about making the impact. You know, I thought I would correlate a live story so people can understand we got a client. It's a property management company. So they manage hotel or uh, apartments. There was an employee in Houston, Texas, $59,000 of household income. Spanish speaking you know, wife, the husband works for the company. He is a maintenance person at an apartment complex, right? He comes and helps you with your light bulbs and does all that stuff. So $59,000 household income. She doesn't work. She's diagnosed with cancer. She's going to the doctor who her primary care doctor told her to go to, and she now has to go get chemo. And so we call that an infusion, right? So she's going to go get a cancer cocktail infused into her. The cost that the normal insurance wanted to bill for that was going to be $30,000 a month, okay? $30,000 a month, which means that individual was going to hit... They're out-of-pocket max, which was $9,000. Zane, the actual cost of those medications, if you're doing it the right and transparent way, was $3,000 a month. We moved the place of infusion from the dirty hospital to the person's couch. Having seen my parents both go through chemo, they didn't feel good when they got done with that. And to think driving and that person didn't have a car. So husband's going to have to take off work. They're going to have to get an Uber, whatever it might be. So the reality of it is we moved it from hospital to couch. We saved the company like $25,000 a month. The member got that service for absolutely free. So let's just do math, right? After Uncle Sam takes from a $59,000 salary, we're talking I don't know, 45, 48, whatever it might be, nine thousand dollars is a—it's a, a huge it's amount of money. Yeah. That person's yeah. never going to pay that bill. That person files bankruptcy one hundred percent. That's right. Here and here's the coolest part—they were so hesitant because it wasn't their doctor that told them. So we had to put one of our employees, you know, who's a nurse who speaks Spanish, talking to a Spanish-speaking person, talking real talk, and. She that person starts to cry on the phone because they were so scared, so confused. And they're having to think about whether I can afford to have chemo for what they're telling me would kill me. Like that as a society makes me sick to my stomach to think that people every day are having to make those life decisions. So my employee has a conversation and shares like, if you're okay doing this, they'll come to your house and it'll be free. So long story short, process goes by that individual, that lady sends the nurse team flowers and she sends a handwritten card to our employees. And so when I talked to my employee who went above and beyond, that's not his job. That was not his job to do that. He's like, you hired me and you told me that our job is to focus on the impact that we can make to a human life. So it is my job, which I get choked up thinking about that that person has a job description. This was not part of their job description, but the culture of the organization, the why, not because it's my why, because they understand and realize that the why is so big and affects so many people that was their pleasure to do so. And then on the recipient side, you change somebody's life. You change somebody's life for the health reasons, for the financial reasons, for the level of trust reasons. And that employer, you just save them several hundred thousand dollars. Everybody wins. It just takes approaching things a little bit different, both from the culture. I talk to my employees every day about the impact that we're making on human lives and making that way first then the financials of our own organization come after that. So if you could focus on taking care of the consumer, the belly button, the life, the kid, the mom, the sister, everything else works its way out.
1: Unbelievably well said. I couldn't agree more. And the degree to which it's happening in mass, it does make me sick to my stomach. But the light at the end of the tunnel is every conversation, every time I hear about other, or well, there's another advisor that learned what we've learned and is trying to take on, you know, and change from doing the status quo model to educating employers on what's really out there to what you just described in your team and seeing the social media engagement and seeing your team or talking to someone in your team about how committed and passionate they are. It starts with a lot of it, it's not just the why, but it's also because of your actions. It's the way your team follows the lead of the leader, right? So it's how you show up every day and you always show up with that energy and that level of caring and focusing on your team to make sure that they understand that you put them first.
0: My parents didn't have a second day, right? So, you know, I think about that every day. That day, I don't want to get up. My parents moved us off this island, gave us a better opportunity, and I'm going to maximize every ROI that I can, not financially by any means. I've been blessed you know, to to have a nice career, but the reality of it is I literally, my brother and I joke, we go like this to each other and that's our sign of, we hope mom and dad are high-fiving up there.
1: Uh, On that note, Lester, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. For the audience, I'm sure they'll want, I'm hoping that they will want to engage because if there's any this is the first call to action that I would you know, encourage anyone listening. If you want to convey that you're a culture champion to your team, it is showing that you care. And there's no better way to show that you care than to focus on finding the right partner and team to help fix this issue and help them understand the issue if they're not already aware. So how would the audience, like? how would you want them to reach you?
0: Yeah. Obviously, you said LinkedIn. I'm I'm fairly active on, on LinkedIn. Lester J. Morales, because my brother, fun fact, is also Lester Morales. Lester J. Morales, the, the CEO and founder of Next Impact. And obviously, anybody can email me at lester.morales at com. And Zane, you see me most days it's not a business. This is truly about making that next impact, which is you know, no coincidence of why our company is called the same. And a selfish plug, if they want to hear some more, Impact Healthcare dot is our own podcast. And they're going to hear from people that are walking that walk and doing that talk and you know, really get to see that this is real. For the audience,
1: we're we'll going to drop all that in the show notes so that you guys can see I have the links directly to Lester. I look forward to having you back on sometime down in the future, but wishing you the most success and knowing that you're climbing up a large mountain, but I have no doubt that if anybody can do it, it's your team and you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Lester.
0: Thank you for listening to the Culture Champions podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You'll find links to any resources mentioned in the show notes. If you're enjoying our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you have someone you'd like to hear on the show or a topic you'd like to see covered, please email pat.davisbryant at risktag.com.